0: The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. And if you would, open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 20, and um, we're going to look at all of three verses today, verses 17, 18, and 19. The title of the message is, Behold the lamb and so Matthew chapter 20 beginning in verse 17 says now Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the twelve disciples aside on the road and he said to them behold we are going up to Jerusalem and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes and they will condemn him to death And then they will deliver him to the Gentiles. He will be mocked and then scourged and then to crucify. And the third day he will rise again. It's interesting here that Jesus is is talking about himself in the third person. He will do this, he will do that. But the reason Jesus is doing that is because he's talking about the Messiah and he's really painting a picture for the disciples of what the prophets said the Messiah would be like they Right now do not get a clue now. You and I know the story So I want to kind of bring you back if I can go with me in your little minds and go backwards and go back 2,000 years ago before all of the story that we know be with the disciples um, in fact, here, if you want to follow along in your notes, this hour that Jesus is now going for the final time to the city of Jerusalem is the hour of his vindication. This is now the third time that Jesus has told his disciples, I'm going to Jerusalem, and this time I'm going to die. But previously, he had not told them how he was going to die. Now, for the first time, he reveals to them, When, when I get there, I will be betrayed and I will be put to death, and I will be given not to our people, because if Jesus had been put to death by the Jewish people, what was the Jewish form of capital punishment? Throwing stones. He goes, no, I'm going to be given over to the Gentiles, and their form of capital punishment is crucifixion. This must have been mind-boggling, For the disciples, the disciples are having great difficulty accepting the idea of a suffering Messiah. In fact, we read this in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 32. Let's read it out loud. The disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. As Jesus began to describe this, they were bewildered by this. They, and they thought, why are we even going to Jerusalem? You keep saying you're going to die. Now you're telling us that, that we're, you're going to be taken away from us, the Jewish people and Jewish nation, and given over to the Gentiles, and then you're going to be crucified. What in the world is that? You have to imagine they have been with Jesus, and they, they came uniquely and individually, each and every everyone, to know and believe that he was who he claimed to be, the long-awaited Mashiach which means the anointed one. And there were all these different prophecies that were sprinkled like beautiful, precious gems all through the history of Israel, the prophets of Israel, Uh, the Psalms even talked about, it had all these prophecies about the coming king. And they were so sure that he will be, the Messiah will be a king like David. He will be surely a man after God's own heart. And when people thought of David as the king, as a type, as a metaphor, as a model of the coming Messiah, that's when Israel was strong. That's when Israel ruled. That's when Israel reigned. For that brief season, basically of when David was king and his son Solomon, so for about 80 years, 40 years each, Israel was the superpower of the enti- that entire part of the world. Everybody, now, before that it wasn't like that, and after that it wasn't like that, but for that brief period, uh, to the north, to the east, to the south, everybody kind of like, don't mess with David. Man, this dude is for real, he is legit, his God is with him, and he has victory. So now the disciples, wow, now we have the son of David, the king, the Messiah, the anointed one. He's doing things David never did. Imagine what Jesus could do with all that power and with all that authority and with all those miracles and with all these teachings and all the masses that are following him. But they notice, the disciples, now for the third year, Jesus is not amassing some big political move. He's not getting all the people, hey, excited, Harry, we go. we're going to go take over. We're going to, you know, throw the Romans out. Jesus, in fact, says the opposite. He goes, no, we're going to go there. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die by the hands of the Gentiles, the pagans, the unbelievers. Where's the victory in that? Where's the glory in that? Where's the kingdom in that? Not only was Jesus not amassing some political move, he was certainly not amassing an army. Uh, He was almost by himself. And in fact, along the way during the three years, While initially crowds were attracted to him because of the miracles and the teachings, Jesus said some very hard things about what it meant to follow and be a disciple. You gotta come, you gotta pick up your cross, deny yourself, and follow me. And I'm going to Jerusalem to die. So there are many that just said, you know, we love the miracles, we love the power, we love all the authority, uh, his authority over nature and, and the spiritual realm. But man, he says some hard things, and they turned away, and they walked away from him. Finally, Jesus said, will you, to his own disciples, will you leave me also? And Peter said, where else can we go? You alone have the words of eternal life. In John chapter 11, verse 16, Thomas, one of the disciples, who is called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, so they're confused, this final journey to the final visit to Jerusalem for Passover, he says, well, let us go that we may die with him. They didn't understand it, but they were hanging on to him. Uh, they held on to him. So here's what I want to share with you. I want to share with you some of the prophecies about the suffering Messiah. There were two pictures in the Old Testament. One that uh, they tried to emphasize and they loved, and who wouldn't, to the one where he's a conquering Messiah, he's a king Messiah, he rules, he reigns, uh, everybody is, is submissive to him and he leads in the nation into this glorious zenith of the kingdom of heaven. But there was another picture of the Messiah where he's called the suffering servant, uh, where there are things that are going to happen to him that were inexplicable. They, They didn't get it and didn't understand it. So what to do with these two pictures? Basically, Uh, what many of them did is they just said, well, let's not worry about or even think about the suffering Messiah vision. We don't know what that really means. Let's just, we want the king, we want the ruler, we want the one that's going to come and bring the kingdom of heaven to the earth. But I want to share with you these, uh, some of the prophecies that talked about this suffering Messiah, because that's why Jesus came. And by the way, to this day, there are many Jewish you know, let's say orthodox, because of the two picture of the Messiah, they, they believe in two messiahs. They believe in one, they call Messiah the son of Joseph, who suffers, and the other they call the Messiah the son of David, who rules and reigns. And they don't know quite what to do with that, but that's kind of what they came to, is there's two messiahs. But what did the truth and the revelation of Jesus bring? There's one messiah with two comings, He came the first time to suffer and to die for us, but he's coming back again a second time to be the King of kings and Lord of lords. Can I hear an amen, hallelujah to that? But first, um, in the Psalms, so I I put the scripture references, this is not in your notes, I didn't have room, but if you want to jot these things down, here are just a couple of handfuls of more than 300 prophecies Concerning what will the Messiah be like? What will he look like when he comes and again? They're scattered all around you you could never have put the whole it's like having pieces of a puzzle You couldn't put all the pieces together until it was actually Fulfilled and once it was lived out and fulfilled then they could look back and go ah now we see all of the pieces So the Psalms in the Psalms God predicted the Messiah would cry out in pain Psalm 22 verse 1 my God my God Why hast thou forsaken me? It's right there in Psalm 22, verse 1. And Jesus uttered that, but when did he utter it? While he is there hanging upon the cross. And by the way, he was echoing what should have been what we as human beings, sinners, should have cried out for all of eternity, that we would be forsaken in our sins. But thank God Jesus came to take your place. He said it for you. He did it for you. He paid it for you, and then uh, it goes on to say that he would be pierced. Same psalm. So this Psalm 22 is a very messianic psalm. He's going to be pierced. That also lots would be cast for his garments. That's in the same Psalm 22 verse 18. You know that. What did Jesus uh, actually, you know, physically in a material sense own? Well, um, the only thing earthly that he owned was his garment that he wore. And it just so happened that he had a special garment. His garment was woven without seam. You know, usually when you weave something, there's little seams in my shirt. I got a seam on this side and a seam on that side. And you put it together and, you know, wrap it around you but there was a special way that they had. So even though Jesus was poor, he had something of value. And more beautifully, that, that robe which was without seam, the Roman soldiers, which we read in the gospels, who would get drunk because they didn't, obviously they didn't like, that's their job that they have to do the capital punishment. They would get drunk, they would make fun of and mock the Jews, that every Passover once a year, they thought some Jew was gonna be the king or the Messiah and they played a game called the game of the kings and they would choose one Jewish prisoner a year at Passover to pretend and make fun of the Jewish belief that there was a Messiah of the king and that year they picked Jesus of Nazareth to make fun of and to mock Uh, that he was the Jewish king. And above his head, that's what was written, Jesus of Nazareth, king of the Jews. Little did they know, they actually, by the providence of God, literally picked the king of the Jews. They picked the very Messiah, the anointed one. So while they're drunk and they're going, well, he's got a robe without seam, at least it's worth something. Let's cast lots and see who wins that. And that was prophesied, and that's literally what happened in the Gospels. And then we go on, it also says that he would be given vinegar to drink, Psalm 69, verse 21, because when you're dying of the crucifixion, it's you're dying of thirst, along with you cannot breathe, because your body, the weight of your body is hanging by nails. So it's so you know, excruciating that, that you, you sink down, but then you need air, so your, your weight gets on your lungs, so you have to arch your back, push with the, your feet on the nail, spike through your feet, pull with the spikes through your hands and arch your back to get a breath. As soon as you do that, excruciating pain, and you would exhale, and, and it just went on and on and on. So he would be given vinegar to drink, and that he would rise from the dead, Psalm 16:10, And that he would ascend to heaven, Psalm 110, verse 1. And the last little group of scriptures here, the Hebrew prophet Zechariah predicted that the Messiah would enter Jerusalem on a colt, Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, and that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver, Zechariah chapter 11, verse 12. That's exactly what happened. When one of the 12 who had been with Jesus saw the miracles of heaven, saw the power of the glory of God, but some have said that Judas did not like where Jesus was taking this whole thing of the kingdom of heaven. He wanted the outward, political, powerful, and what's my role in place? I surely will have a great seat. And, and then when Jesus started, no, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be rejected. I'm going to be the Lamb of God. I'm going to pay for your sins. And he's like, nah, we don't want that. That's not the kind of Messiah I want. So he rejected him and then he betrayed him. And when he came to betray him, they gave Judas exactly 30 pieces of silver. There's a verse in the Old Testament that says the price of a slave, because they would buy and they would sell human beings. And the Bible says the price of a slave is 30 pieces of silver, which shows how they valued Jesus. This is the religious leaders. He's worth the price of a slave. Boom, they, th- they give the 30 pieces of silver. To Judas Iscariot, that was all prophesied. And that he would be deserted by his friends, Zechariah chapter 13, verse seven. His own disciples would reject him. And again, that he would be pierced in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. What I want to say to you this morning is the entire fabric and fiber of the scriptures woven together reveal the Messiah, the anointed Son of God, would first come and die for the sins of the world but then on the third day he would rise from the dead. Amen? Okay, so Jesus is our Passover lamb. So you and I need to know a little bit about what is Passover about? What does that mean that Jesus is our Passover lamb? Obviously, this is uh, written in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, verse 15. Let's read this out loud. I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. So that night, so this would have been Thursday night, Jesus has the Passover meal with all of his disciples. And the, the whole nation of Israel is doing that. They'd been rehearsing this for 1,500 years, from the very first Passover night. When God had taken the nation of Israel that had started with about 70 and it grew to several million, but they had been slaves for 400 years. And then God picked a man named Moses, took him out, revealed himself through a burning bush, and said, You will be my mouth to Pharaoh. And I am done with what's been happening, and I am now going to set my people free. We're going, I want you to go confront every God that the Egyptians worship. And God said, "And I'm going to knock them down. I don't know if you know this, but every single one of the ten plagues were ten of the gods that were in various ways worshipped by the Egyptian people. So God said, okay, it's me in the ring with your ten gods, and we'll see who's left standing at the end and one by one by one he knocked them all down and finally by the and each time Pharaoh would repent oh let him go and then he would say no and he would harden his heart finally the 10th one God said get ready tonight don't even don't even pack i mean just get ready you're going to leave tomorrow i'm going to take the life of the firstborn son from pharaoh on down the whole you know realm of egypt And so that's what they did, and God delivered them, and he brought them out. They had to get a, he said, get a lamb, find a lamb, he says, because I'm going to send my angel out, and he's going to be looking, and wherever, if he sees on a house, on the doorposts, blood on the two doorposts, and blood on the lintel beam then my death angel will pass over that house and the life of the firstborn will not be taken if i go to a house even from pharaoh's on down and there is no blood on the doorpost or on the lintel beam the life of the firstborn will be taken so that night you know they, they had to get a lamb and it had to be a lamb without spot and without blemish it had to be symbolically perfect only the blood of a perfect lamb could be done. So now Jesus, Thursday night, is having the Passover meal. They're all remembering backwards 1,500 years, and Jesus says, no, tonight is going to be the fulfillment of Passover. I'm going to be the Passover lamb. And did you know that Friday, literally the next day, so Jesus at night, uh, he's taken, he has this meal, exactly nine o'clock in the morning, on Friday morning, they take the lambs and they sacrifice them at the very moment that Jesus is lifted up at nine o'clock in the morning on the cross. Six hours later, they put the lamb in the oven, as it were, and literally six hours later, three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus is put into the tomb. So the parallel goes right hand in hand. So read with this with me, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse seven. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So hang with me just for one minute because I want you to understand something. The lamb, because we're getting ready to have the, the communion. Communion comes out of Passover. It comes out of the Passover meal. We need to know and appreciate what this means. Only we're not remembering the lambs back in the days of Moses. We're remembering the eternal once and for all lamb of God whose blood took away our sins for all time and all eternity. That's what we're about to celebrate. So the lamb is the number one metaphor used in the entire Bible to describe Jesus. 104 times in the New Testament alone, Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God. Look what this says in the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 29. Let's read it out loud. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So that lamb, what what is it about that lamb and Passover, and Christ is our Passover lamb. Behold the lamb of God. Three things I want to share with you very quickly. Number one, the lamb had to be perfect. Why is it so important that the lamb has to be perfect? Because the lamb has to pay for the sins of those who are imperfect, All right, the reason the lamb had to be without sin is because he is going to take away the sins of the world. In other words, you can't be it if you need it. If you need to be forgiven, you can't pay for other people's sins, which is, by the way, the reason you and I can't be our own God. We cannot save ourselves because we are sinners. We are broken. We have issues. Can I hear an amen on that? We got issues, and for anybody here that thinks you don't have issues, that's your issue. (laughs) It should be the most plain, obvious thing in the world that human beings are not perfect, and we are not perfect. How many of you admit, right here in church, you're not perfect? You got flaws, weaknesses, you know, so it's true. And yet God sent his son Jesus Jesus is the only perfect human being who ever lived. He never did one thing wrong. He never thought one thing wrong. He never imagined one thing wrong. He never mistreated anybody, not only Jewish, but all of the other Gentiles that he met and through his entire life. The lamb is perfect. Number two, the lamb had to be sacrificed, now, that's the, the biblical word for it, but what I want to share with you, you know that word sacrifice? So the lamb had to be perfect to pay for the sins of sinners, but secondly, in order to pay for the sins, it had to be sacrificed, and the word sacrificed means slaughtered. The lamb literally had to be slaughtered in order to pay for the sins of those who were imperfect. That's a description of what Jesus went through on the cross for you and me. That's what we're remembering and honoring him and worshiping him and loving him today. Isaiah chapter 53, verse five, a beautiful chapter. If you've never read Isaiah 53, you need to read it. 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah saw more clearly than any of the Hebrew prophets who the Messiah was as our lamb, as our substitute, as our sacrifice. So let's read this out loud together. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed." So, uh, look, I, I, I want you to know that, that that Thursday night, as it went in after the Passover meal, that night they came to arrest Jesus. Judas betrayed him. They gave him 30 pieces of silver. And that night began a night-long process of trials where he got thrown back and forth from the Jews and then finally got thrown to Pilate to the Gentiles, fulfilling exactly what the prophet said. I don't know if you knew this or not, but in the Jewish, Jewish people's own laws and interpretations, it was completely illegal to hold a trial at night. Because symbolically it spoke of trying to make holy decisions in the midst of darkness. So they violated their own laws, but it was all part of what happened. And then when they brought him out, they put him to the whipping post. Now, I don't know how many of you, you know, saw the Passion of the Christ. And these are, you know, it's not easy, I mean, uh, to see. If you haven't seen it, if you are a child of God and you're of, you know, mature enough age, I think you should see it at least once. But I want you to know this, as, as gruesome, and they gave it the R rating. Imagine that, a movie about Jesus, R rating, because of the blood and everything, and especially the whole scene of the whipping post. But I want you to know this. Even those of you that remember the passion of Christ and see, wow, man, it was, talk about, that was a picture of a slaughter. But I want you to know that what they showed and did in two hours is literally light compared to the real day and what really happened and what he really went through, they didn't even give you the full dose. It was even, it was beyond, beyond. And Literally the Roman soldiers what they the, they would do the 39 lashes. Did you know that they had a system? They gave 30 13 lashes to one shoulder They would beat it with these leather tongs and balls to embed in the flesh It was it would heavy it would stick and then they would pull it would rip and the idea was to rip the muscle of the shoulder So that you were limp you couldn't pull up to breathe Then they would do 13 Whippings on the other shoulder. So now neither shoulder works. You can't pull you have no muscles And then they did 13 right down the middle of the back as they hastened death. These are where Jesus cried, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What I want you to note is that all that Jesus went through for you and for me, I mean, the, the excruciating suffering and agony he went through, how did he do it? How could he do it? There was, there was something inside of Jesus. So when we think of all the stuff that went on on the outside, even the, the, uh, when he was beaten, I don't know if you know, but in crucifixion, they said that you would get a burn, your head would burn, like imagine the worst migraine you've ever experienced or a headache that you have ever had, multiply it by 100 times, your brain is on fire. It's just screaming in all directions for some relief. And then what's going on on the inside, then they, they, you know, pounded a crown of thorns on the outside just to make. Now, here's the, here's the amazing thing. While Jesus went through fire, both internally and externally, his mind, by his thorns, he healed our minds. The Bible says that he, he took your anxieties, your fears, your depression, your darkness, your, you know, dark imaginations, but he gave you his mind of shalom and of peace and of love and of joy. It's an exchange. And by, so literally the whip represents our healing. And and it's what what drove him. How in the world was Jesus able, even though he was God, that to become a man? How could he endure all of that? Because there was something internally that was even deeper and stronger and more passionate and more intense that drove him to be faithful to the very end. And you know what that was? Do you know what burned like fire inside of him all the way to the very end, so that he was faithful? and sinless and perfect and pure, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, was his love for you. That's why we are to remember, we are to go over and over again, and we'll never get to the fullness, the height, the depth, the width, and the breadth of what he suffered for us, and what that shows us and reveals to us is the intensity, the zeal, the fire, the passion, the burning inside of him of his love for you. And he wants you to see it, he wants you to know it, he wants you to feel it, and it should should burn your heart, it should change your life. You can't be loved with that burning, fiery, intense love and not be transformed. So can I just say, can we just pause right here and praise our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for what he has done for you and me. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.